Hi, this is the Disney Animated Cannonball. I'm Talon, he, him. Ah, I'm Fox. Exhausted. <laughs> and she, her. And so, with our happy procession into the realm of Disney movies with actual plots, we decided to immediately dip back into one that is a series of shorts with <laughs> 1951's Alice in Wonderland. It's true. I uh, I never noticed before how much this one is kind of like the uh, the compilation ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, in its defense, it's got as much plot as the book. Not really. I I mean, no, but there's an asterisk there. Like, like the movie, the, like the book is itself kind of that's. It does have that compilation effect to it. But we'll get into that in a moment. Uh this is. The same basic crew of people making the thing. We once again have an appearance from Dick Humor in the credits. Uh, but we want to proceed onwards to mention that this is now the day of Thor Putney, which I think is a great name. <laughs> and uh, quite clearly a werewolf pretending to be a person in the form of Wolfgang Reiterman. <laughs> I, uh, how, how much does Thor Putney sound like a Viking staple to a little office dork from, like, Kent? Thor Putney sounds like a <laughs> newspaper comic about the nerdiest Viking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got, he wears suspenders. All right. Um, so, first up, this is an adaptation from the 1865 novel Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. <gasps> Lewis Carroll, a.k.a. Charles Dodgson, who, like, we could if we wanted to make an easy hour out of arguing back and forth about the degree to which he was a weirdo or creep or misunderstood person in a period of the time. Oh God, let's um, not. And Yeah, exactly. I don't want to. I don't, I don't feel any need to extend like grace to a weirdo from the 1800s. Yeah, I mean- we can't know for sure, and you and I are not going to bring anything new to that conversation that people couldn't read on his Wikipedia page. And further to that, it involves a lot of really gross kind of, well, this sure as heck sounds like he was a creep kind of stuff. And, like, content warnings, while valuable and necessary, sometimes do make you stop and pause and go, hey, do I need to talk about this here? And I kind of think in this case, <laughs> we shouldn't. I guess your content warning is, we're going to talk about this guy's work. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you know that you don't want to hear that, then uh, we're not going to hold it against you if you don't listen. The good news is it's kind of upfront on the tin, as it were. This is about Alice in Wonderland. We're not exactly smuggling the Lewis right, Carroll in. Right. And anyway, we're going to talk about Disney's version of this. Uh -huh. is, I mean, you know, Disney was Disney's kind of creep. So yep. that's an entirely separate issue. Um, Beyond that, I guess let's talk about the movie. <laughs> okay. Do you want to summarize the plot in less than 60 seconds, Fox? Uh, yes. I'll take the easy mode. I will say, in this exercise of seeing if you can summarize the plot quickly, you did kind of luck out on this one. Eh, uh, oh, would you want to do it instead? No, no, I did the last one. We're going to go back and forth. It wants to be fair. All right. Your time starts now. 
Alice is a little girl, and because she's a little girl, she's not interested in books that include words like usurpation. So, instead of listening to her lesson, she falls asleep and has a dream about a lot of things that don't make sense until she wakes up. Thank you, fuck you, I seed my time. 20 seconds. <laughs> and I took the time to say usurpation, so really, I could shave seconds off that record. And that's with the five second pause you put in there. So yeah, that could easily have been a 12. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's... I mean, it's not my fault. This isn't really a story. This is a weird dreamscape. Yeah, and we know that there are sections of what was once upon a time the story that it was built from that were worked on and cut. Uh, and so this, this movie fundamentally is about a little girl, possibly with an anxiety disorder, having a stressful dream. She, she, looks, she seems fine in the real world. She's just bored of people wanting her to learn shit and grow up and do boring adult shit. I suppose, but it's the, at one point in the story, and like, there's no, we, we kind of jump around here because there is no coherence or consistency to this narrative. There is, there is no- <laughs> started it. There is no meaningful reason to care about this story as a sequence of linear events. Some things happen after other things, and in general, nothing is lost. Not to say that this movie is without an attempt at a flow-through narrative, like returning characters and whatnot and recurrences, but the nature of it all being so purely dreamlike means that something showing up after something else doesn't mean anything. It does not. The only reason any of it has any, uh, it contributes to any arc is, is just that Alice does get, you know, kind of more fed up with the dumbass world. Yeah, um... And, like, I, I believe it would be reasonable to say that many people can probably remember having a dream where they're just, oh, I'm fed up with this nonsense. <laughs> that's a, that's pretty much what I have instead of nightmares. Like, I don't have scary dreams. I just have really fucking frustrating dreams. But they're not surreal like Alice dreams. They're usually, like, I have to listen to that one asshole boss. Mm -hmm. And I'm not allowed to just punch him until he shuts up. So, the, uh... The, the thing I was going to say about the anxiety disorder is there's a sequence where she basically tells herself, I give myself good advice and then never take it. And then she repeats that into a song while bursting into tears. I'm like, is this a child's representation of an anxiety attack? <laughs> well, an anxiety attack I might buy, but mm. uh, I I don't think we're given any signs that, that she's prone to anxiety. Uh, if anything, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's start with what is our relationships to this movie. Um, I've seen Chunked Up before in Wonderful World of Disney afternoon special kind of stuff on a Sunday afternoon. Never all of it to fruition because we had to leave for church about halfway through. Um, <laughs> but this is one where um, I have vague memories that a lady in our church got compared to the Queen of Hearts and she was extremely unhappy with that. I mean, you'd be extremely unhappy with that, sure. Really, though, it's a very fair comparison. <laughs> I think I know which lady. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I, I don't really have a relationship. Like, this is one that's so old and is related to stuff I was aware of, because I've read Alice in Wonderland, um, is so related uh, that... I, I have seen and been surrounded by and contextualized stuff, but eh, I knew the lyrics to I'm Late, for example. Right. It's, it's hard to avoid knowing those if you have, like, any immersion in Disney. Yeah, or, or media in general. Like, people will quote it in, you know, 80s movies yeah, and stuff. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is one of those things that happened to a boomer twice. 
All right. Well, uh, my relationship with this movie is weird because I've seen this a disproportionate number of times compared to how much I actually like or care about. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, we had a copy of this, uh, a, a totally legal copy, of course, which inexplicably had the the Win TV watermark in the corner. I uh, don't know how that got there. That's the strangest thing to put on a VHS release, Disney. Weird. Weird. Um, so I, I recall having watched this many times. Um, this is not something I could have, like, quoted the entire movie through, like I almost could with some of them. But it is, like, everything that happened beat for beat. My brain went, yeah, and now the music does this. And now they do this weird animation thing. And he honks. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was surprised how much that all clicked into place. Uh, the, the other thing about this movie is that I saw it this many times when I was too young. Because it reminds me that I saw this this many times when I was too young to recognize a lot of the words. Like, hearing the now, I'm like, oh, that's what was being said in those instances. Like, usurpation is one of them. Yep. I didn't recognize that. Uh, uh, what else have we got? Sorry, I wrote some more down. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, elucidate, another one I picked up. Contrary-wise. Just, there's a lot of fancy words in this, and obviously I didn't get them. Uh, and I don't know how young I actually was. But, I remember for sure that this is the first movie I recall looking at, and understanding that an animated film was made of different stuff to a live-action film. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't categorize what that difference was i didn't understand that they were drawn but i remember this uh, the the cells from the the very beginning when she's sitting with the governess i remember looking at that scene and being why is this different to like when when people are on film what's going on here and that's a that's a weird thing to be able to remember that's a developmental rubicon <laughs> i i guess it is Mm-hmm. Um, and th- thereafter your ability to abstract humanity into the, into two-dimensional representations has been forever shattered because ultimately <laughs> you think that the 2d's got it right well i feel like the remakes vindicate that opinion <laughs> all right um that said because again there is no structure nothing means anything and the nature of plot is an illusion designed to sell you merchandise the <laughs> note you made where it's like oh that that's a bit where the thing honks and then gets into the river <laughs> I am quite surprised because I thought we would leave this behind in the in the shorts movies, but once again, wiggly Disney ass. Oh, big Disney ass! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you've also got the Queen because anytime there's a fat villain around, we're yep. going to see their butt made fun of. Ah, uh, yeah, but I, I wasn't expecting like the bulgy jut into the camera <laughs> shot on a flipping horn. <laughs> I didn't really notice that. I'll have to give you points for that. Bonus, it's an eggplant color. So now it has that extra Instagram emoji quality <laughs> that this thing is somehow both an ass and a dick at the same time. <laughs> it's a horny eggplant. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Wow, Disney's so ahead of their time. Transcendental. <laughs> oh, this is another one that features very few outings through the Yike store. Uh, like, aside from like the fundamental underpinnings. Of, 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 like, some of the questions and assumptions. Uh, yeah, like, this is pretty unyikesy. I would even venture to say that even if only through, uh, fuck, brain. Why can't you give me words in the middle of a sentence? Uh, I would even venture to say that if only through omission, less racist than the original source material? Kinda, yeah. Like, just fewer off-handed remarks that would be very <laughs> of their time. And, and, like, don't be wrong, there's a lot of mean-spirited stuff in this. Oh, hell yes. Uh, 
even to the point of like specific jabs at specific people, but there's no way on earth you would recognize them. It's just 80 minutes of people being assholes at each other. Oh yeah, it's terrible. But specifically, here we go. Here's a fun bit. The walrus. The walrus is a reference to someone in particular? The walrus is a point-to-point explicit reference. Like, I looked at the walrus and went, is that a reference to blank? And then I went and looked them up and went, holy fucking crap. Who's the walrus? J.P. Morgan. I know that name. J.P. Morgan was one of the richest men in America. He ran a uh, banking empire. He is the name on the international bank you might have heard of called J.P. Morgan Chase. Well, that's where I know the name from. Yeah, he was worth about $20 million when he died, which is $1.2 billion. Uh, so, why do we have any sympathy for him? He's a billionaire. Well, that's the weird thing. Um, J.P. Morgan was, and this is, this is going to be the padding that's going to save me from having to read my notes <laughs> at the bottom. J.P. Morgan was a fantastically controlling dickhead Mm -hmm. there are very few images you have of jp morgan which are not posed photographs from specific locations that he oversaw we have one he had like a rockefeller thing going on then uh he he and rockefeller were rivals right um bonus when he died uh, and left behind that 20 million dollars which was about 1.2 billion right now rockefeller was famously quoted oh i thought he was rich anyway um J.P. Morgan. Oh, all of them can get in the sea. Oh, yeah. J.P. Morgan can get in the sea. If you've ever seen a picture of J.P. Morgan, you wouldn't necessarily realize that he's meant to look like the walrus because J.P. Morgan had a fantastically florid, off-colored, bulgy nose. And every time he had a photo taken of him, it was with careful lighting and makeup and everything to make sure he did not look like he had a big, bulgy, red nose. Which means that one of the only photos we have proving that this nose was like this is one where he's got his stick in the air and he's bringing it down on the person photographing him. He's the, the guy from that photo. He's the guy who beat I a photographer in the street. No, that was J.P. Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, uh, like, don't get me wrong. I, I actually agree. Yes, bankers are predatory monsters who will steal... Uh, the very lives of children and even from their own friends and allies okay, in yep. order to enrich themselves with whatever dialogue they want to about cabbages or kings. Like, that's actually kind of good. But also, it depicts him as, like, really shabby and poor, which is kind of wild coming from Disney. <laughs> that is an odd choice. He, yeah. He died in 1913. This guy's, like, 30 years dead at this point. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I don't know. That's... <laughs> Who can unravel? But look up a photo of J.P. Morgan and then look at the walrus and it's it's the same outfit. <laughs> it's the same hat. It's the same face. It, it is really stunningly, like, weird. Okay. Who's the dodo then? No idea. Oh. Sorry. Like, probably based on someone else. That's the thing. Like, what, once I realized that J.P. Morgan was the model for the walrus, it had my brain ticking on, like, okay, who's everyone else? I'm like, I'm not going to know. I only know J.P. Morgan because of that one that one photo of him beating a photographer that comes up in a journalism class. That might also be uh, an isolated case. Like, I'm sure they're yep. all somewhat inspired oh, yeah. by some people, but, uh, like, I'm not suggesting there's a secret Alice in Wonderland codex we can find oh, out who no. all these people map to. And the, if you're the kind of person who does, I'm sorry, please don't talk to me. Yeah. Like, it's 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 fine. The, the whole point of that particular, like, anecdote of bringing up that, hey, he looks like J.P. Morgan, is because every character, hypothetically, any given character designer is going to design characters based on things they want to know and reference. And that might be that if you could look at uh, Alice in Wonderland with the perspective of an adult in 1950, you'd be like, aha, I too recognize Otto von Schmartz. Ah, that classic figure from 1910's New York social scene. Like, we're not going to know. 
there are elements of this series <clears throat> there are elements of this movie that have effectively decontextualized themselves through mere age <laughs> I mean, it most is of it. i mean most of it <laughs> it is a form of historical rot and what we are left with is a slab of decontextualized stuff and that decontextualization in some cases helps it in some cases hurts it particularly this movie is meant to be a comedy <laughs> yeah i don't think even as a child i found this funny like i mean i didn't have anything against it i didn't mind it but i don't ever remember laughing at alice in wonderland i thought i laughed at one point watching it tonight for the first time and that's just when i heard the actress laugh like it was this first moment of like genuine really genuine human emotion that i liked and i was like <laughs> yeah and that was it that that is it that is the, all that the 78 minutes of my life have yielded <laughs> it does uh I noticed a, a lot more punning than I ever did as a child, which, once again, didn't make me laugh uh, out loud or anything like that. But it was like, oh, that's clever. Right. Join us in a cup of tea. That's the thing you'd say. Then they fall into a giant cup of tea. Like, yeah. That's, I mean, that's a joke. Yeah. That's a perfectly good joke. And with animation, it's kind of visual humor. It's hard to do otherwise. Yeah, yeah. The... There's a word for that, isn't it? Like where you you flash up something that um where you like flash up something that's a visual pun on the dialogue at the time. Yeah, it's a known as a Lord Privy Seal. That's the one. Yeah, the uh, which incidentally also came up in journalism class in the context of don't ing do this. Um, <laughs> well, it's cute in cartoons. Well, I keep doing it all the time in my YouTube videos, and no one's gonna stop me, Dad. I'd actually, rather like it. Anyway, um. The you mentioned that it's full of puns, and that's very true to the source material. And this might be part of why it's so hard for me to see it as a comedy, because I've read Alice in Wonderland. It is a uh, very punny, grammatical, jokey book. And Walt Disney was adamant to try and keep as much of the dialogue as possible and as many of the poems as possible, which is why all of the songs might not feel like standard Disney, because they're using carol poems and then making songs around them i mean there barely is standard disney at this point that's and, true uh, I, I mean a lot of these songs lodged in my head uh, above and before any of the other ones you funny you should happen to mention the the moment she laughs as like a, a genuine emotional moment because uh, the other thing i really noticed on the rewatch was that like the i mean the acting is not convincing acting but I'm pretty sure that's because most of that dialogue is literally from the book, and the book, she's like a weirdly, wordly, well-spoken seven-year-old? Six-year-old. Jesus Christ. She's older than that here, I'm pretty sure. She's got to be at least, like, eight-ish. Yeah. Not that it really matters, I guess, but that, like, I mean, she's obviously deliberately written unlike a real child, even a particularly verbose child. Especially since we're given to understand that she like slacks off from her lessons and isn't very interested in reading and stuff so i find it very hard to believe that a real alice would have spoken anything like this yeah and this is part of the the like the root of the comedy is playing with language and words and uh, yeah she she is that way to facilitate what he wants to write it's, yeah I'm, I'm not bitching about it being unrealistic and bad yeah, and it, it's it's all meant to present this position perspective on a child that is also very precocious and adult level in her thinking, but very innocent in her wants. And, yeah, like, it's not an interesting book. <laughs> it's um, not an interesting movie. And, like, if digging into it involves, like, okay, what are some basic assumptions of the world in the case of the movie? Like, what are some things about this world 
and this story. Like, why does this story flow from point to point? And there's a lot of stuff in this. I'm going to say something hurtful now. There is a type of person who regards Alice in Wonderland as delightful and whimsical and clever and and intriguing in its (laughs) own way. Um, I've seen the t-shirts with we're all mad here and the uh the the kind of adult aesthetic that tim burton like brought to life <laughs> because there's because there's a vision yeah. of people saying like oh tim burton made a version of alice in wonder like no tim burton recorded the video of what had already been in the fandom's <laughs> mind for 30 years like there is a very specific aesthetic and style for the people who think of a sort of like neo-noir gothic take on Alice in Wonderland with that underpinning quote of we're all mad here from the Cheshire Cat. And that's bullshit. It's straight up not true. The characters in this are not mad. They're just unhelpful. The, the characters in here are, are are all just annoying and prattish. There's no one visibly hallucinating. There's no one demonstrating an unreal relationship to reality. It's just people who aren't helpful interacting with one human who appears to be helpful and curious and kind of nice. <laughs> I look. Um, I'm. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it wasn't meant in a a diagnostic sense, and was in fact meant in kind of an offhanded. Well, that's. I can't distinguish the difference between mad and a random asshole. <laughs> yeah, and therein lies the other problem, which is a lot of the humor in this is people who are quote unquote mad are hilarious. Yeah. And just there's a lot of random cruelty in here as well. Yeah. This uh, came back to me how sorry I felt for the rabbit, even though he's kind of a butthole when, it, when like, Alice actually gets to talk to him for the first time. But then immediately they, like, wreck his stuff and set his house on fire. Yep. And he happens along at the party and they wreck his watch. And, and I'm sure that watch- He cries! And he cries! I am sure that watch is a boss in Kingdom Hearts. I haven't checked- <laughs> But I bet you in Kingdom Hearts, there's like a PS2 era model of a really big watch with a mouthful of jam snapping at people and you've got to like beat it by yanking on the keychain and kissing Riku on the cheek or something equally appropriate to Kingdom Hearts. Sure. That's what Kingdom Hearts is about based on my understanding. It's all the people I know who care about Kingdom Hearts care about Kingdom Hearts. But yeah, like you're right. Like the the poor, and, and again, speaking of anxiety, the white rabbit Seems pretty anxious. Yeah, that's a character with an anxiety condition. Absolutely. Well, um, I mean, yes, an anxiety condition directly brought on by working for the Queen of Hearts, obviously. And there's this, like, question, like, it's come up in a couple of sitcoms or and a couple of, it's almost a hackish observation of like, oh, well, all this stuff is inside her head. Brr, that kid's messed up. Like, no, she's a kid. This, this is a fairly <laughs> normal, like, this is a remarkably pedestrian dreamscape. Have you not had dreams? To, to be fair, some people don't experience dreams. Oh, well, okay, well, yes, okay. But for everyone else... Yeah, for everyone else, when there's a general critical reaction to this of like, oh, it's so trippy, it must have been done on drugs, which is the most boring reaction. (laughs) And let me tell you, it was done on drugs because everyone fucking does drugs, but the drug in question was definitely not some kind of hallucinatory thing or any of the fun ones. Oh, oh, for Disney. No, oh, good old-fashioned murder smoke for Disney. Yes, get me a glass of cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh boy. Yeah, no, it's it's a uh... Sure. Yeah, I mean this is this is very tame. I mean, the flowers are identifiably you, you know, they look like dogs and prissy ladies and things. They don't look like weird shifting indescribable nothings that, you know, well, they were you know, it was kind of like a dog, but it was also a boss, and I'm pretty sure it was my sister. Uh, yeah, and, not, and covered in, in spotting cosmic patterns like Deep Mind would generate on the Tarasque. <laughs> yeah, it's... Have we, have we both... Have we just given away some things about our own dreams? I hope not. <laughs> like, whenever people talk about dream sequence, my thought is always, but the, the thing I would have trouble expressing from my dreams is that things are always several things at once, and you can't communicate that. It's not that they change between things, it's just that my brain knows them as several things how would you even do that i don't know anyway i guess what i'm saying is weird cartoon stuff isn't particularly surreal this isn't even very surreal by disney standards no and we know because he worked with dolly at one point <laughs> oh yeah that's on disney plus now isn't it there's like yeah. a short based on yeah if you want to see surreal <laughs> talk to the guy who did surreal because i understand he was fairly influential with with my note taking i did make the point up front that a large portion of this movie is comprised of watching annoying people who suck. So I'm not going to spend time noting every time a character irritates me. Just <laughs> assume that the default at all times is, ugh. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, I wouldn't have been excited to have any of these characters show up at my window and go, hello, want to come on a magical adventure? Yeah. Like, they're just not, they're not even fun, for me at least. Like, maybe some other kids loved them or whatever. Maybe they were super the kind of human the kids were looking for in the 50s. The only characters I can think of in this entire thing that have some degree of, like, relatable, I can tolerate you, would be Alice herself, who's just like, you're just a kid. You're just a nice kid who's lost. That sucks. Have a donut. <laughs> um, And the lizard climbing a ladder, because he didn't do Poor anything Bill. wrong. Poor Bill. Yeah, he didn't do anything wrong. Just some more cruelty. Yeah. <laughs> just. Bad things happen to people for no particular reason. At least, like, oh god, the door is full. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> Even the flowers are assholes. Even the cute little dog flower that was like a fluffy terrier uh -huh. was a butt. Yep. Ugh. And so sad. Like in in the flower scene, they do a fairly nice job with the um with the the instruments. I do really like their designs. Like that whole sequence, I quite enjoy. Yeah, that, that's a real high watermark for this movie. And there are nice, um, like, they're just really good solid interpretations of the, the shapes that flowers give you to work with and how you scan those onto various choir and band archetypes. Very cute. I enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, because just things to notice, uh, I realized something that when we talk about Disney doing the, uh, you know, with a jump he was free kind of nonsense in a couple of movies... <laughs> I've worked it out. I've worked out what it is. It's inappropriate crossfades. So in film language, if two scenes fade together, that's gentle. That's processional. That's usually, and so with time, thing happened. If you want to convey an immediate jump to a different sequence where action is continuing, you can use a hard cut. In this, the sequence where she escapes from the, um, from, from the trial is crossfaded to her running away in the garden. And that's just what we would now consider to be a really incorrect kind of edit. I feel like that sequence was full of a whole lot of hard cuts otherwise. Yes! Just yeah. that one crossfade, and that's why it stood out so much. Yeah. And that made me go, oh, hang on. Is that what happened in Mr. Toad? I think it is. <laughs> I think the same thing that he did a crossfade inside the prison to the next sequence is like, well, in Tingly Wingly Pixieland. <laughs> I wonder how, uh, how codified that was at this stage. 
because we're obviously looking at that with the benefit of modern film analysis and yeah. you know this wasn't exactly the wild west of filmmaking but uh they were you know things were a lot less uh thoroughly defined in in terms of filmic language well i mean battleship potemkin at this point is 25 years old but also it's a goddamned gummies movie yeah yeah i mean the just because a thing was was made and we now look at that and go well this is the source of this and this and this yeah and it doesn't mean it had permeated particularly through other cultures it's especially wild because i think in context it's actually slightly harder to do uh crossfades in animation than it is a hard cut you know you know i don't know how you crossfade in animation i don't i i know how i crossfade in animation but i've got no earthly clue how they did it in 1951 I mean, yeah. eyelash watch is very uneventful this time uh, I think I may have spotted them on the rabbit once or twice, but mostly they're on no one except girls. The Mad Hatter. The Mad Hatter, okay. And the Dormouse, I think. The Mad Hatter at several points when he's emphasizing a joke with a head swaggle. Yeah. Sorry, Oh, no. yeah, there was a lot of swaggling here. Yes, there was, and it's like a proper swaggle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to explain a swaggle? Uh, well, it's just a, a technique whereby an animator shows off and has a character do a very theatric ha-ha-ha-ha gesture where they rotate their head on multiple axes at the same time so it's quite a complicated animation to do and which is funny because it's like by its nature it's not even remotely essential it's just a character flourish yeah it's it's really an animator flex is what it is and it also tends to look silly you'll see the swag yeah once you know what a swaggle is you will see it on comedy characters all the time but you will almost never see a serious character do a swaggle it is as it sounds and we know that one person at disney was responsible for the majority of the swaggles <laughs> this is uh milton khan is it milton carl carl k-a-h-l yes, sorry and uh i guess we'll put out a, we'll put out a feeler for swaggles going forward uh well it's it's funny that you mention it because i'm sure i know of at least one done by a serious character but he is punning at the time, so... <laughs> we'll put a pin in that, see if you can pick the one that I'm thinking of when we get there. And I have another one in mind which is different, and we're going to keep a pin in that to see if it's actually in the scene I remember it. Okay, okay. All right. All right, Swaggle Watch is established. Okay. Now, uh, but you've also interrupted Eyelash Watch. I did. Because there was one final remark to be had here, which is that the uh, Queen of Hearts has a reverse feminine eyelash clause which is to say her eyelashes vanish when she's being particularly brutish yeah it it might be more a question of did we want to bother drawing them in in this frame because she's she's a very loud uh character to animate she's got a lot going on and she gets to occupy the whole frame a lot yes uh which actually means you're more likely to see eyelashes because like the bigger a character is in frame the more detail you're going to get in their face obviously yeah. similarly uh especially at this point when you're paying by frame as it were not that you're actually paying by frame <laughs> but when you were doing that at this point in time if a character occupies the whole of the frame and you've got a way to save yourself one minute of frame then you're going to take it mm, yeah, it's I good to disagree well i mean yeah it depends on it depends in a big way on how the production is being made you're this right. is more an economy of detail like yeah. You need to put more detail into a close-up face shot because the face is the entirety of what we're seeing. Whereas, you know, if it's a full body shot, uh, you don't draw every facial detail the same way. Alice's nostrils vanish most of the time when she's at a distance. But when we do get close-ups on her face, she's got nostrils again. It's just yeah, that stuff works. In the Queen's case, though, I think it has more to do with the fact that she's a very, uh, 
Well, I mean, she's a panto archetype. She's a she's not hard yikes evoking it, but she's definitely a mannish woman for the sake of comedy. She's the panto dame. Yeah. She would be in a panto rendition of this played by a man in a dress. Yes. Um and I think that's why she uh, regularly loses uh, uh, the most signaling female characteristics. Yeah. That's a dreadful sentence to say. Please understand that I'm not saying these things are an inherent part of femaleness or should be. The well, point of eyelash watches. At what point did we decide that only girls got lips and eyelashes? Yeah. At what? At, which is incidentally part of the whole point of showing that, like, the way we signify characterization and the way that we signal and determine gender changes over time and has changed quite a bit over time. On which point I should probably also note that Alice has notably defined lips, which, I mean, it's a cartoon shorthand, but, like, she's got lipstick lips, despite being a child. Yeah. And the Queen of Hearts has no lips because she is a brutish oaf. Yeah, great big shovel jaw face. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, read into that what you will, I know what I'm reading into it. (sighs) That these people should not be trusted anywhere near genders. I mean, she's she's the first of our really, like, campy villains, I guess, which puts her in a very important lineage for Disney. Uh, one that they are trying desperately to extract value from at the moment by telling us that those characters weren't just fun assholes, they were in fact seriously emotionally damaged people who then turned into fun assholes and you should maybe forgive them because maybe a dog ate their parents or so. Ah, fuck the villain films. Mmm! Fuck you, skeleton. You can't be here. And moving on. <laughs> yeah, don't take that away from them. Disney villains are fun because they like being villains. Uh, but, uh, uh, yes, her in particular. I mean, she's she's a very much larger-than-life character. She is pretty much the beginning of the camp villain lineage. Um, and I think she's still really popular in theme park stuff, especially in Japan. I don't know. Japan seems to particularly enjoy the Disney villains in, in uh, specific... Uh, I don't know if you've been introduced to the, uh, oh, fuck, what's it called? Twisted Wonderland, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's a thing. We'll talk about that later. That's a thing that doesn't happen in America. I I mean, don't get me wrong. We should absolutely be using the time that we don't have anything to talk about to talk about stuff that's not related. But also, I don't care. (laughs) No, that's true. (laughs) Uh, And there's nothing really to explore if you've already met the franchise. Yeah. Uh, Also, I'll just leave that one for the listeners to look up yeah uh if if they're curious uh enjoy a lot of gender swapped villain gijinka yeah basically <laughs> and hey if you're looking for characters to role play uh that's <laughs> true if you're if you're looking for new images to steal for to your steal oc shit. do not steal then yep <laughs> twisted world of disney it's totally not sim but you don't understand it's my character all right lightning rounds i think we're just about out of this shit sheep Picks up a chunk from either side of the mushroom and they're like these perfect triangle-sized smooth egg little pudding slices. And I remember even as a child looking at that and being like, was it was it just segmented freezing root? Was it like one of those cheeses that's divided into pie slices? Where do you get your food <laughs> from, Grandma? Yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing to say about it except that I noticed it even then and was somehow... Enchanted by these weird mushroom portions. And then you grew up and found out that mushrooms taste bad. It's the kind of 
thing that, that Tiny Fox focused on for some reason. I don't know, just particular moments of animation that made me go, hmm. Also, Buttering the Watch had that same, like, what's with the, oh, the consistency on the butter is so oddly compelling. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, it's not like you're drawn to food in media itself. Despite the stereotype, it's just that that's the time that these particular textures get used. Well, there's a lot of fascinating depictions of food in animation in particular. Because food in animation is nothing like food, right? Oh, no. Has weird solidity where it shouldn't have, and sometimes it collapses when it shouldn't, and it just acts nothing like food. And I find that fascinating. Yeah. It's less of a food obsession thing and more of an animation obsession thing, which is 100% on brand for me. Let's and, not get ourselves. And that's why we're doing a podcast about <laughs> that's movies. That's why I'm making Talon watch 80 films he doesn't care about. <laughs> I don't think it's 80 yet. It's a number. It's a number. We'll say it's honorary 80 because Make Mine Music and Fun and Fancy Free were in it. <laughs> Do you have any idea if the jam on the Dormouse's nose is about anything? Because I never understood that. I'm like, why are they jamming his... Is this a thing? And, you know, later as an adult, I'm thinking, is this like a snuff reference or something? Is there something going on here? No idea. No idea? All right. I mean, I probably did, but I find the kind of people who want to delve into Alice in Wonderland to negotiate (laughs) what it really was all about are often weirdos. Well, I mean, some stuff is an obvious representation of something. Like, I also didn't know what the squares in the coming out of the teapot were when I was a child. Ah. Now I know what a sugar cube is. Okay. Well, <laughs> to, to give you an example, the the Hatter's question. Yeah? How is a raven like a writing desk? The riddle, yeah. Yeah, you know there's no answer to that, right? Yes. Right. And yet, and yet, there are <laughs> articles- Does the think there's a real answer out there? Well, there are articles being printed now- about here's what the answer is or should be or whatnot to the point where and this 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 is my favorite detail of all of this lewis carroll didn't have an answer mm-hmm. but fans annoyed him enough that he came <laughs> up with an answer oh my god and provided it in the foreword and oh the answer god. and the answer is because it can produce a few notes though they are very flat and it is never put with the wrong end first and never was spelt n-e-v-a-r but, God, he was a word nerd. But, but the editor looked at that and went, that's a typo. No! Oh, no! And so for 15 years, the book was published with the answer to the most annoying fan's question, corrected by a pedant, <laughs> making them worse. Oh. And then for several years, it became kind of a thing amongst authors to come up with different explanations or come up with new unheard of answers. But mm, Wikipedians, all of them. Yeah, like this this impulse is Wikipedian. And for all that we want to say, or like Star Wars made the worst fans, one, no, Christians. Oh, no. And two, <laughs> there's just something fundamental to fandoms that do this kind of thing. There are always going to be fandoms that include this kind of stuff, and it's not a new impulse, and it's not something the internet made. Not even fandoms. There are always going to be people who think that the only way to approach media is to solve it. I'm going to put you back in the the previous bucket with the please don't talk to me people. I'm sorry. Talk to me about other things. I'm sure the rest of you is lovely. My favorite answer to the writing desk question is that they are is is that neither is ever approached without cause. <laughs> See, like that's, that's actually, actually a kind joke. of funny. <laughs> I like that. I mean, it's not true, but I, you know, but I enjoy the, uh, sorry, I lost my place. (laughs) Continuing with the lightning round. Other things little fox didn't know. What's up with the month of June? Why would that be relevant to flowers? I wonder why they mention it. I guess they just wanted a rhyme. (laughs) Yeah. 
We live in Australia. We'll never know. Yeah. It's so mysterious. This is why you shouldn't say it's releasing winter 2021. <laughs> you also shouldn't make fun of that lady on Twitter for just being basically nice. Yeah. I remember really liking the animations with the deck of cards. Well, with the card soldiers, where they act like a deck of cards. That's some fun shit. Yeah. Plus seeing the, the edges all line up like that is so satisfying. I love the scene in the trial where Alice just fucking face palms. Yep. I never noticed that as a kid. But yep. That's a very like, oh, oh, that's definitely the oldest face palm I've ever seen. <laughs> just like, bah, straight up the face. As a, as a wee thing, uh, I remember the part at the very beginning where she lies down in the field of flowers uh, and they just completely engulf her. And then you see a shot from like, hey, first of all, that's lovely. But then the next shot is her looking up and there's so much empty room around her where the flowers aren't completely crowding her in. And like, <laughs> tiny wee single digit age fox was like, what's up with that? <laughs> there were way more flowers in the other shots. <laughs> but it did make me sort of enthralled by the idea of doing that. And and briefly, uh, when we moved into the house in the, the suburb that my parents currently live in, um, there were reeds down the back near the lake that were tall enough to just lie down in and vanish from view. And that was lovely. But meanwhile, tiny, tiny wee little fox was like, that's a continuity error. <laughs> and what's more, never is spelt N-E-V-E-R. <laughs> Also, when I saw this as a child, I did not recognize any of what the Cheshire Cat was saying. Though, and and this time when we watched the throw, it was like, "Twas brilliant!" Oh, I know what that is now. Yeah, I've heard that. Right? He's like, did did he recite that in the original, or is that just like no. it's a cute reference where they put, you know, they wanted to have him say something spooky, so they got him to say that. I don't feel confident saying no, he didn't. But my memory is that the Jabberwock is not like poem within the narrative. Right. I thought Jabberwock didn't come up into the looking glass anyway. I can't remember it. I No, that's right. They folded it into the live action looking glass uh, one. Cause yeah, because my memory is that the Jabberwocky has nothing to do yeah, yeah. with no, that sounds Alice right. in Wonderland. I think I associate it with, with Through the Looking Glass because they did that for those. Like a BBC telemovie type thing. Or yeah, something. it was a live action miniseries that they screened while we were kids. And just scared an the piss out of me. Atrocious looking rabbit. And yeah, the Jabberwock shit in that was proper scary. Yep. With like a little child yeah. actor screaming in a mirror, I don't believe in you and something thing the world uh, shattering uh, oh. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Tim Burton, eat your heart out, I guess. Retraumatized. Anyway. <laughs> and finally, also original sighting of Sonic the Hedgehog rolling. <laughs> We've discovered a lineage, Talon. <laughs> Proving once and for all that Sonic is a Disney princess. You know you don't become a princess just by being a Disney character, right? No, he's already a princess. No, he's not. Yeah, he's royalty. There's a continuity thing. I'll show you on the wiki. Okay, royalty, yes. But you don't become a princess by being a prince. In one of the continuities, Sonic's a girl. That's not Sonic. That's Sonya. <laughs> <laughs> They're totally different characters. You can tell because one of them is voiced by Jaleel White and one of them is voiced by Jaleel White trying to do a girl voice. <laughs> Furthermore, <laughs> never is spelled any... Want to hear about the box office? Oh, lordy. <clears throat> yes. Right. Well, this is going to be big, right? No. No. During its initial theatrical run, 
the film grossed 2.4 million in domestic rentals. Because of the film's production budget of 3 million, Ooh. the studio filed a write-off for 1 million in losses. Wow. Yeah, I guess that was how it worked. I mean, obviously it's pulled up its lifetime earnings a lot since then, but... Part of this is it didn't get good critical reception. Uh, Bosley Crowther, reviewing for the New York Times, complimented that... If you are not too particular about the images of Carol and Tenniel, and if you are high on Dimsney whimsy, and if you'll take a somewhat slow, uneven pace, you should find this picture entertaining, especially should it be for the kids who are not so demanding of fidelity as their moms and dads. Oh my god. A few of the episodes are Dandy, such as the Mad Tea Party and the Caucus Race. The music is tuneful and sugary, and the colour is excellent. Nah, nah, nah. This is exactly how I, Bosley Crowther, sounded. <laughs> he sounds like he also had strong opinions on how to spell never. Furthermore... <laughs> <laughs> boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy. But... So, did, uh, are we saying that people already had in their heads an idea of how Lewis Carroll's stuff should look and were put out by Disney's interpretation of it? Yep. In did my... he get not a real fan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, in my research for this, I went and found that, like, oh, yeah, I've seen these diagrams. Um, there was the, the original books had an artist called Tenniel who was responsible for illustrating oh, a whole I've bunch. Oh, I've seen these drawings, yeah. Yeah, and that was the way that stuff looked. And, like, there's some other things, like the Momraths. Ah, uh, yeah. Which are these cute little fuzzy Muppety things. Um, a Momrath in the book had the body of a turtle and the head of a shark. Well, like, they a are... completely different thing. Completely unrelated. And they're um, being told by the great tortoise. Like, it's, it's not even vaguely the same kind of stuff. So and that so, was just... Like, using a name that appeared in the work that they weren't actually going to use. Yeah. It's it's like taking something and, like, stripping away all of its essential spirit and everything that made it what it was so that you could put out a version that is yours and you own and you can demand that people respect because you have an international uh, um, control over these things. Well, that would never work. Like, I'm sure people wouldn't reassign the correct way for these things to look to the Disney version mm -hmm. and thus, you know, canonize it. But you mentioned lifetime earnings. Well, Alice in Wonderland returned to the cinemas once. And in 1974, it made $3.5 in domestic rental. Alice in Wonderland has made a ton of money, but it's all been on home cinema. That is kind of what I was thinking, to be honest. Yeah. Like, this, I feel like they sold a lot of VHS of this. Yeah, but box office-wise, no. Mm. I mean, it's also not really a film that benefits from, from big screeniness. I mean, that's not really a, an issue in the 50s, obviously, but... It was one of the first films ever advertised on television. Home television. Like, go to the movies. Go watch Alice in Wonderland. Right, right. Yeah, but I mean, uh, from, from the reissue point of view, perhaps. Like, well, even then, with 70... 74. 74. We don't have home video yet, do we? No. No. I mean, maybe some billionaires do. I guess I can... What I'm saying is I can see why it wouldn't have got an 80s or 90s re-release the way no. some of them did. No. Yeah. Because <clears throat> you could just sell it for home video. Yeah. And at that point, you've also got the magical world of Disney as a regular TV show. And Alice in Wonderland doesn't lose anything but being cut up. Um, wonderful world of Disney. <laughs> I guess I should, uh, on that note, close with, uh, if you haven't picked it up yet, I haven't read the books. 
I haven't even like book on taped the books. So uh, that that was a very interesting discussion for me. Thank you for sharing. Oh, I'm glad that my childhood reading classic children's literature, which is mostly boring piss, <laughs> was helpful. Well, that's how this stuff goes. I mean, you've read the proper and boring version of it, and I've seen the fun one that everybody likes. That's my life. <laughs> I'll be really prepared, though, when Disney does an Animorphs movie. <laughs> Should I tell him? <laughs> All right. Well, the good thing that that potentially traumatizing subject but of books by a well-known creep that got made into a Disney movie is all behind us now. What's our next movie, Fox? Oh, well, you wouldn't be asking me in that tone of voice if it wasn't Peter Pan. Uh... That's, uh, I feel like the Yikes store, those hinges are a little rusty. We, we've barely opened it lately. We've just sort of peeked through the keyhole and that's been enough. I feel like we need to throw that door wide the fuck open. <laughs> Take us to the sky, Disney! You're a wizard. It's not even worth laughing about that, really. I mean, like... I guess part of the comedy of the kazoo is that it's a hilarious rendition of a beloved children's classic, but I couldn't tell you that song. <laughs> well, I mean, the beauty of the kazoo is you take a serious song from the movie and then you play it on a kazoo. But we're in Alice in Wonderland. There is no serious song. Yep. <laughs>